0: We're all on a journey to reach our full potential and purpose. And no matter where you are on your path, know that we walk together and not alone. At the Mission Leadership Institute, we believe the path to leadership is self-discovery. To support you, we're bringing the most advanced thinkers in the country to help unpack all that we carry with us on this journey in leadership. Before we start, we want our listeners to know that the information provided during this podcast is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Providence Walk With Me podcast. I'm your host, Martin Schreiber, with the Providence Mission Leadership Institute. Today I am joined by Dr. Ted Hamilton, he is the Vice President of Advent Health System, author of the physician well-being during sustained crisis, diffusing burnout, building resilience, restoring hope. We're talking about resilience in healthcare and what skills healthcare leaders need after the pandemic. Okay, let's get started by welcoming Dr. Ted Hamilton. Well, I wanna thank you, Ted, for being with us. It's a great honor and a privilege to have walked with you for almost, I think, 11 years Mm. when I first came here to the Coalition for Physician Wellbeing in Florida. And here we're sitting together again, Mm. uh, once again, in in this sacred space and at a conference that has brought physicians and administrators together to talk about this uh, aspect of
1: physician well-being. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I uh, feel humbled and honored. To have the opportunity to spend a little time with you today. Share some thoughts.
0: Over these years, I have gotten to know you uh, and have appreciated your mentorship. And I think our listeners would really benefit from just letting us know who you are. And also, how did you get into this calling as a physician?
1: So I'll I'll share a little history. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, and um, I like lots of little boys. I like to climb trees. I like to jump into swimming pools. And, and I fell from trees and bumped my chin jumping into the swimming pool. All of which is to say that um, I uh, sustained a broken arm coming out of the tree and needed stitches under my chin from turning around when I jumped into the swimming pool. So I got to make a trip to the family doctor. And our family doctor was Dr. Fisher. He was, uh, he was a family physician before there was a specialty, but that's who he was and what he did. So for our family, in addition to sewing up my chin and setting my broken arm, he delivered my little brother... And when my dad came down with something that put him flat on his back, he actually made a house call across town, probably drove half an hour to make the house call and then drove back uh, to see one patient. And um, I just remembered thinking even then... I, I'd kind of like to do that someday. So I, I generally did pretty well in school and got into college. And I wasn't sure that I what I wanted to do or be, but I thought, you know, I'll I'll take the pre med courses, and if I do okay, then I'll apply to med school. And if I don't do okay, I'd be happy teaching or perhaps even becoming a pastor. So I, I, I wasn't dead set on, on being anything in particular, but, but there was sort of a direction. And, and it turned out I'd, I made good grades in college and was accepted into med school. And so I married the year before, the summer before we went to med school. And um, when I finished med school, I still didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I thought maybe pediatrics or family medicine. So in the final analysis, I I chose to do a year of family medicine, and then I said, I know I'll know by then. I'll, well, I finished that year, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. <laughs> so, so my wife had seen an ad in, I think it was a... An AMA newsletter that had a little said that um, for a doctor who would go to what was then designated as a federal doctor-deprived area if you stayed three years they would pay eighty-five percent of your school bills Mm -hmm. and and we had school bills that seemed at that time to be high today they seem (laughs) (laughs) minuscule but but we went to a small, small town in, in western North Carolina, and I ended up staying there five and a half years, um, delivered hundreds of babies, um, didn't do much surgery, but a little bit, covered the emergency room every third night because there were three doctors in the town, <clears throat> and um, didn't have any call system at all not even a beeper in that part of, so you just, if you were on call, you had to stay close to the telephone by your bed. We didn't have cell phones then. So stayed there five and a half years and then went on to teach family medicine. But I I tell people that my career has more happened to me than I have happened to it. it. It just, I was there and when doors seemed to open, I'd walk through and when they seemed to close, I'd go a different direction. So it wasn't intentional. It just happened.
0: And this sense of deep relationship is so apparent in your calling story. Uh, The way that uh, even from the person who did the house call and Mm -hmm. how they came forward, it, it, it hits our memory, doesn't it? Yes. And we're not ever the same. Yeah. Uh, that, that fateful moment in the tree <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> set the course for, for women in a least developed area. They are the beneficiaries of, of our connected story. Yeah, from what you said.
1: I'd never thought of it quite like that, Martin, but, but there is a truth to that. Yeah.
0: I imagine, too, as you sit here and the, the way that you are, their patients who have affected you. And are there ones that you say, this is still with me, and the lesson that they taught? Could you share a little bit about that?
1: Sure. I'll tell you the story of Micah. Okay. Micah w- was one of the babies that I delivered. His mom was the public health nurse for our county, and his dad worked at the local Mental health center. And I had, um, I I rarely left the office, but um, I knew that his mom was not quite due. And and my wife and I took a rare weekend to Panama City Beach in Florida. I'd only been there a day when I got a phone call saying uh, she's gone into labor which was early perhaps a month early and I got on an airplane and flew from Panama City to Atlanta in Atlanta a private pilot from our little town flew down picked me up and took me to North Carolina and and the baby was born within Within a day or so, it was clear that something was wrong. He was kind of blue and he wasn't thriving, he weighed about five pounds, so you know, you'd have thought that he would have done okay. So we we transferred him to Asheville, North Carolina, and And they watched him in the ICU for a few days and then said, you know, he seems to be doing better and sent him back. But he got worse when he got back. And we sent him to um, Emory University in Atlanta and they diagnosed a rare heart defect, which would at some point require surgery if he could survive to be enough to withstand surgery long story short Micah um, was in the pediatric intensive care unit at Emory for maybe two months and and then it came the time that the doctors said you know we we can't save him so I drove down I had a van, I drove down to Atlanta with his parents and with his mother's sister. And we went into the intensive care unit and said goodbye to Micah over tears. And they turned off the life support and within five minutes, he was gone. So we wrapped him in his body in a blanket and we drove the three hours or so back to our little town in north carolina and three days or so later we buried him there was much to be learned from that but among the things that that i learned were that as a physician who you are is as important as what you know. And in this case, clearly Micah's condition was beyond the expertise of a small town family doctor and ultimately beyond the expertise of one of the best pediatric infant care places in the country, but just my presence with them was of immense value not only to them but to me um, no surgery no drugs no um, n- no kind of uh, therapy could have saved Micah with the technology of that day But but living through that experience brought his parents and me closer in a way that that nothing else could have done. So presence is more important than pharmacy sometimes. And who you are is often more important than what you know.
0: Ted, when you share this story, there's a deep sense that he is a prophet. Hmm. And that there is this sense of that name and the the calling of a physician from the womb to the tomb is a huge realization for who you are.
1: Yeah, and I I believe... I'm going to back up. If if I go back to the story of Jesus at the Pool of Bethesda... Mm -hmm where he approached the man whom scripture says had been crippled for 38 years, and Jesus asked him, do you want to be whole? And the man didn't really answer that question. He said, nobody's here to help me get into the pool, which people thought in that day it had healing properties. So Jesus didn't really address that. He just said, pick up your bed and walk. And to his credit, the man did just that, Mm -hmm. picked up his bed and walked. He was, at that moment in time, whole. Mm -hmm. But I believe that wholeness is more than a transient recovery from an illness or injury. I believe that wholeness involves all of life in the moment and all of life from beginning to end. I once spoke with Craig Barnes, who was at that time the president of Princeton Theological Seminary, and we were talking about this idea of wholeness. And he said, Ted, I have buried any number of people who died whole. Hmm. Now that seems like an oxymoron, a contradiction in terms. To die whole? But if one thinks of life not only in temporal terms, but in eternal terms, one can die whole, one can live whole, one can be whole. One can feel whole. Regardless of the circumstances.
0: Isn't that what we all want? And yeah. our life and our, our pursuits of going so fast make us uh, susceptible to missing that message of what it means that you have just said. Yeah. And I know that in this season of your life, you have sat down and written a book called The Healer, mm-hmm. who I know is out of, knowing the healer, but your context of your character has always been spirituality. And could you explain a little bit about the process of going through that, which is incorporating these stories I know that you just shared of Micah,
1: but this promise that you talk about uh, in The Healer too? Yes, the, the subtitle of, well, the whole title is The Healer, Peace, Prayers, and Promises. And the, the fundamental idea that, that germinated to start this book was to, to provide something of understanding of the healing ministry of Jesus to, to 21st century health care. What can we learn from Jesus' ministry that can inform and in fact enable healthcare today. And and it was written primarily for the person in the bed, the patient who is facing a dismal diagnosis, the patient who is frightened about an upcoming procedure, the patient who is facing the potential end of life while undergoing treatment. That's who who I had in mind. And I chose to use as a basis two of the gospel books, Luke and John. Luke for two reasons. One, we believe Luke was a physician. And secondly, Luke is one of the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are very much alike. There are some differences between them, but they're even called the synoptic Gospels, meaning same view, same vision. Um, So Luke, for those two reasons, and John, because his Gospel is different from the other three, totally different from the other three. And it, it gives a, a different view, a different aspect of, of Jesus' character and ministry in, in John. So I try to arrange them sort of chronologically. So uh, there might be a chapter or two from Luke and then one from John and then back and forth to, to try to create somewhat of a coherent narrative of this. And... Um, and it's a devotional book. It's not a, it's not a history. It's not um, a commentary, for sure. But it, it is a, an applied devotional to, as we walk through those vignettes in the life of Jesus, to say, now, if I were in a bed, if I were ill, if I were facing something serious, what would comfort me? What would give me hope? What would perhaps give me a different perspective on what is happening? And I just began writing. So as you know, each of them begins with, with a verse and, and then a bit of commentary. Sometimes it's one paragraph, sometimes it's three or four, just depending. And then a, a brief prayer uh, that's intended to, to offer perspective, and hope and and some understanding frankly of of what health care is like today for people reading that to, to demystify it a bit so so the book came out in I don't know maybe February or so of, of this year and the honest truth is i'm better at writing than i am at selling yeah <laughs> so um so I, however my own company the company i work for um has bought a lot of them and, and distributed them to chaplains and patients and folk around the company but now as i'm as you know considering retirement soon um i'm looking forward to having time to to look at disseminating the book more widely
0: well ted i want to thank you because in reviewing the book it gave me an opportunity to even get to know you more and it's always been a privilege that you give us hope as you are that healer, but then also moving us towards what it is that is our meaning and purpose, and I know we're going to get to that in our next conversation. So Ted, I want to thank you for being here and for the, your imitable way for generating this culture of
1: healing that goes on in healthcare. My pleasure. Thank you, Martin.
0: I want to thank Dr. Hamilton for joining us, and to everyone for listening. Watch for part two of our conversation in a future episode. To learn more about Dr. Hamilton, go to adventhealth.com/adventhealth dash press slash Ted dash Hamilton. You can find the Providence Mission Leadership Institute on LinkedIn. Be well.